on this episode of the Naturist Living Show, Naturist Cartoons. This episode of the Naturist Living Show is brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. At Bear Oaks, we offer traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Free your body, free your mind. www.bearoaks.ca Welcome to this episode of the Naturist Living Show on Naturist Cartoons. My name is Stéphane Deschain. I'm the host of today's show and the owner of Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. And as you can probably tell by my name with all the f- funny accents, I grew up uh, French-speaking. Uh, and I grew up in Quebec where uh, la bande dessinée, uh, cartoons or graphic novels as they're known in English, is very, very common. I think probably far more popular in a different style than what you might see uh, in uh, English North America. There's uh, certainly the superheroes and the comics do exist, but the uh, graphic novels have a whole range of different uh, styles. And if you've ever seen uh, the series uh, Asterix or Tintin or Tintin, as they say in English, uh, you have a sense of some of the um, types of graphic novels and cartoons that are available. So it's very popular. It's a very unique style. So I was very intrigued to find out that there was uh, naturist cartoons, uh, naturist graphic novels out there uh, a few years ago. Um, in fact, I wrote an article uh, for Going Natural a number of years ago, uh, and uh, I reviewed a variety of them, uh, one from the UK, a few from France. But by far, my favorite was one that came from uh, Australia. Uh, from a uh, gentleman by the name of Stephen Crawley. His book, at the time that I published, it was only one. It was called The Koala Bears. And what was really wonderful about it, what I really liked is it, it really told a story that I thought was naturist. Uh, it was about Loxie and Zoot, who were the owners and the managers of a, a naturist park in Australia called uh, The Koala Bears, B-A-R-E-S, of course. Um and he's since published 12 more stories, uh, nearly 400 pages of cartoons on the web. Not in print anymore. Unfortunately, the print book, while it was popular with some, it didn't sell as many as he wished. So for now, he's limiting himself to the electronic medium. So you can actually read them free at uh, The Bear Pit, thebearpit.com. Um, what's fascinating about the stories is not just the topics that are real nature stories and uh, you can tell he's a naturist. You can tell he's been in naturist environments. But also the fact that he depicts every body type and shape uh, without really any bias against any of them. Uh, there's all the colors. There's all the shapes. There's all the ages. Short, tall, skinny, heavy, uh, male, female, young, old. Everything is out there. And it's 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 fascinating to just see how how much care he takes to really illustrate the reality, and yet he maintains the uh, the tone and the fun that I expect in a graphic novel, uh, especially having grown up more with the uh, French side of uh, the graphic novel world. Uh, his stories are definitely appropriate for all ages, uh, and they contain you know lessons for naturists and non-naturists. They poke fun at uh, naturists as well. We can laugh at ourselves um, and some of our own hang-ups. But they also poke fun at the many textile misconceptions we have. I mean, you recognize a lot of the, the situations that uh, show up in his stories, and you appreciate the way he tells them and the way he illustrates the, the problems and the, the textile perceptions or misperceptions or misconceptions. Uh, so, uh, as you can see through the magic of uh, the Internet and computers, I've been transformed into a cartoon. Uh, the image that Stephen was so kind to uh, draw for this uh, episode uh, features myself and himself uh, doing the interview that you're about to hear. Without any further ado, let's go ahead and listen to the interview that I did with Stephen Crawley. So tell me more about yourself. Well, I'm a cartoonist and I live in Sydney. I've got a small apartment. Uh, I've got one room that I've got set up for cartooning in. 
um, and another room which seems to be overflowing with comic books, because uh, I'm also quite a big comic book fan, and uh, also quite a few Nature's magazines, that sort of thing, because I'm uh, also a very big... Uh, uh, how can I be a big naturist fan? I'm just a naturist. <laughs> but uh, I, I find the magazines are quite useful for um, reference and so forth and also keeping up with things that are going on within the community. And, yeah, so I do a fair bit of uh, research around that. So which came first, naturism or cartoonism? Oh, definitely cartooning, because I've been doing it since I was about oh, seven or so. I think I think I can sort of remember starting to get into the idea of um, cartooning from a fairly early age. My family certainly wasn't into naturism at all, uh, so it's kind of been a, a learned thing. I, I do remember, though, when I was quite young, probably about eight, so um, I used to live in Perth, uh, which is the other side of Australia from where I am now. And on the news, I saw a, this is like the the six o'clock news. They had a report about a, a naturist resort that was either having an open day or had just opened. Um, I can't remember the name of it. Might might not even still exist. Um, and that was a. Yeah, it was a full-on report. It's kind of had the, the fairly standard 70s stereotypes um, included. But um, as a, an eight-year-old, I was thinking, wow, that's amazing. And uh, uh, it kind of, I think, was my first hint around that. Because even though it was the 6 o'clock news, I suppose because it was the 70s, they felt uh, at liberty to show a lot more than they might show on the news these days. It's kind of a bit strange. I think we've gone backwards in a number of ways. But So from that age, I started to get a, an idea of the concept that people didn't have to always be wearing clothes. Um, and it wasn't until I uh, was at university some years later in Sydney that um, some friends decided it would be a great idea to go to one of the local beaches and um, didn't take too much to talk me into the idea and uh, from that point on I was pretty much sold on the concept. But the cartooning definitely came uh, well before actual practical naturism did. How did you combine the two? When, when was your first cartooning, a naturist cartoon? Uh, well, uh, just recently, well, last year, uh, Loxian Zoots, the cartoon, celebrated its 10th anniversary. Uh, they weren't quite my first naturist cartoon. I sort of toyed around with the concept a little bit before I started Loxian Zoot, but not much before. I, um, in terms of my cartooning history, I used to work with, uh, a company here in Australia, one of the very few cartoon companies uh, that doesn't exist anymore, unfortunately, but it was a, uh, an educational publisher. So they did a lot of comics around legal rights and um, housing issues and uh, racial issues and so forth. So they had a um, fairly broad brief, but it was all educational. And they had an approach of trying to make the... Because they were putting across a message and they wanted it to actually be um, absorbed by their primary audience, which was uh, young people um, up to the ages of, you know, 17 or 18, they tried to take the tact of um, not being very preachy about the information that they put across um, and trying to make it entertaining um, and have the story to be the integral part in getting across the concept. So that was in some ways a bit of a training ground for me around the, the concepts of um, doing my own cartoons because I was very interested in the time, uh, at the time in um, 
natural therapies and uh, good eating, that kind of thing. So I thought, oh, you know, well, it seems like I could do comics around this kind of thing as well. And somewhere in the mix then I started thinking, well, you know, I could do one about uh, naturism as well. So that's where the, the idea started to come from. And the first naturist cartoon that I attempted and never really finished uh, was one where a group of friends go down to the beach and some are into it, the idea and because they've been doing it for a while whereas a couple of the others have been talked into it so they're not, you know, they're a bit nervous and um, unsure about it. But uh, I only got about one and a half pages into that before I kind of felt that it wasn't really a story as such and that the, the, the chances of getting it published were probably pretty slim. Um, so this is over this is over 10 years ago and the internet was only just starting to be a thing um, and the only way to get anything published in those days was either in magazines or um, do it yourself. So I figured that rather than attempt um, any kind of large story, I'd just start with small half a page type um, cartoons that I might be able to pitch to the uh, local Australian uh, Nature's magazine, which uh, was uh, Sun and Health. Uh, in those days, I don't... Uh, it's sort of around these days, but in a different uh, incarnation, I think. Um, but anyway, they, they um, agreed to print uh, my first cartoon, and that was uh, Loxie and Zoot cartoon. Um, from then, the internet started to pick up a bit more. I tried. Uh, I did another cartoon for Sun and Health, but they didn't publish that. I think primarily because they, you know, a half a page a cartoon basically took away half a page worth of um, advertising revenue for them. So they went with the advertisement rather than the cartoon. Um, but yeah, a friend of got me interested in the internet, and I started to think, well, you know, I could. Start publishing this stuff online. So that was more or less the, the start of the idea. I did um, several cartoons worth of uh, Loxie and Zoot um, before I decided the whole thing was uh, too difficult or wasn't working the way I wanted to and pulled the plug on it. Um, and it wasn't until a few years later that I actually got into doing the, the version of Loxie and Zoot that sort of finally made it onto the onto the internet in uh, in a big way. You know, what what I love about Loxie and Zoot and about your, your nature's cartoons is how realistic it is, how, we, how it really portrays um, the ideals that we all talk about in naturism, but that don't always get portrayed the right way, you know, in magazines. Uh, the pictures in some magazines or in, in advertising certainly is always still kind of the beautiful bodies and the, the same looking people. You have, you have an incredible variety of body types and skin types and ages and genders and, and, uh, and personalities. Uh, well, I think uh, um, in, to some degree, um, uh, well, can I step back just a sec on that? Because yep. it's not just, um, I think it's probably not just in Nature's magazines, um, although sometimes they certainly make an effort to, to cover some variation and so on. But the, uh, I think that problem is probably throughout the entire media industry and certainly within um, comics themselves, it's the, that whole thing of um, body beautiful, um, especially, you know, buxom young women, that kind of thing is a very big thing within comic books, um, but within the media in general, it's all about, you know, image, image, image. Um, what uh, the place that I used to work with uh, before used to do was because they also, because they wanted to engage in their audience, uh, with their audience was that they, um, the only way to do that is to be inclusive. Uh, so all of the comics that they produced had young people, well, it was mostly around young people, but of course they had adults in there as well, but um, they were young people of different ages, uh, sorry, different body types and different uh, ethnic backgrounds. 
because uh, Australia itself has got a fairly large uh, migrant population. We've got a lot of different uh, uh, ethnic backgrounds here, so um, the comics kind of reflected that as well. Um, uh, I guess I kind of realised, like looking at comics generally, they don't they don't have that. And in starting the uh, Locks in Zoot comics, I felt that I really wanted to be inclusive. Um, so to have um, a wide range of ages, body types, uh, racial types and so forth, without that necessarily being uh, a focus of it. I try quite hard, I think, in a lot of cases to just um, avoid focusing on it. It just is what it is. And I think that's kind of like, you know, once you're um, at a naturist resort, that's what uh, it feels like too. It's kind of, you've got people there and they're just people. So I wanted to uh, bring that into the comics um, in a way that kind of just um, made it seem fairly seamless, if you know what I mean. Yeah, and in fact, let's talk about comics for for a minute. Um, I, I have a somewhat uh, unusual uh, perspective because having grown up uh, first French-speaking, then English-speaking in Canada, um, I saw French and Belgian comics like Asterix and Tintin, which uh, I think you've told me before you read before as well in English. Mm-hmm. As and then in English the more American uh, style of comics, which tends to be very realistic superhero, but realistic drawings and that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. What's, uh, what are comics? What is it is to you? What is it just for kids? Uh, well, I think it's comics can be for kids. Uh, comics can also be for adults. It's like books can be for kids, and books can be for adults. Same with movies or anything. I think generally, though, for a long time, um, the comics were perceived mostly for a young audience. Um, they, to some degree, they've matured a fair bit, but uh, I think it just depends. You know, that the comics can be pitched whatever way you want. There are some very adult comics, of course, um, and there are comics for kids, um, and it covers a fair range. For me, uh, I guess any comic that tells a good story that's engaging probably doesn't take itself 100% too seriously. Uh, it's the kind of comic that I enjoy uh, reading um, as a kid, um, Asterix, and um, we tend to call it Tintin here, um, although I do know that the pronunciation probably seems to be Tintin, but uh, <laughs> uh, we call it Tintin here. Um, those comics were certainly the ones that I primarily grew up on, and it wasn't until I was a teenager that I became more interested in the American superhero ones. And then, I guess, once I hit my 20s, I started becoming more interested in the, um, the comics that were... They, they say they're for a mature audience, but they're not um, those kind of comics. They're comics that just happen to have, um, I guess a broader theme rather than superheroes um, and tackle it in a more adult way. But they say those kind of comics are for mature audiences, I guess, to keep the, the kiddies away from them. So I've had a um, fairly steady diet of comic books over many, many years and I suppose I've tended to incorporate those aspects that I enjoy the most out of them. Um, into my comics. And Loxy and Zoot is not your only uh, comics. Uh, tell us about the other ones. Uh, the other one is a superhero comic um, uh, called Magellan. It's about um, uh, superhero cadets. And I, I kind of approached it in a, uh, a similar way when I was starting it, to, uh, that I, when I started Loxy and Zoot, was that it had a fairly large cast of characters it has basically nothing to do with naturism, although there are a few characters within there which have um, more um, 
laid back or liberal ideas around body image than some of the other characters. Um, but primarily it was just meant to be a, uh, a superhero uh, comic. It's kind of, to some degree, it makes fun of some of the, the more serious superhero cliches, but uh, on the other hand, sometimes it embraces those as well. And uh, I guess it's a, a bit more mature in that it has, unlike Loxie and Zoot, and uh, it has uh, some violence in it and um, calls a language. And so, yeah, it's, it's definitely quite a different comic in some ways to, to Loxie and Zoot, but it still has uh, characters of different ages, different body types, different uh, racial backgrounds. Um, but that's probably, uh, and it's also drawn in a similar style. Um, but uh, yeah, everyone wears clothes in that one, more or less, most of the time. <laughs> um, and I started that up kind of as a circuit breaker. I think I find that if I work on one thing too much, I tend to, my, my brain tends to implode, so I need to have something I can bounce between. When one thing becomes a bit too much, then I can go to something else. So currently I'm working on both at the same time. So um, with regards to Loxy and Zoot, mm -hmm. what's, what's, your, what's your objective? Where are you going with it? What's the future of the, of the strip? It tends to change for me from time to time. Um, some years ago, my idea was to you know, uh, get a book published, which I, I did do, and then I kind of expected, well, the sales from this will help. Uh, fund me to start doing more of the comics and print more of the books and so on. Uh, the sales didn't quite achieve that objective and uh, as a result I uh, essentially didn't publish any more books and have kept the rest of it online. Um, what I then noticed after a few years was that um, a lot of the stories I tended to come up with weren't specifically about the characters Loxie and Zoot. Uh, and I think the difficulty for me uh, in working with those two characters is that they're relatively content with their, their lot in life. They run their own naturist resort, the Koala Bears, and so a lot of stories work better when there's a little bit of conflict or um, there are issues to be resolved amongst characters and um, the tendency with Foxy and Zoot was that they didn't necessarily have anything that needed to be resolved beyond uh, the first story in which um, Tex Tyler, the, the guy who doesn't like them very much, decides to um, ruin their open day, open house um, situation. But uh, um, once I kind of realised that um, the stories that I had in mind were largely for other characters. I decided to um, rename the story, uh, rename the, the series into The Bear Pit, and um, that enabled me to bring in a whole range of different characters. And often the stories didn't necessarily even have Loxie and Zoot in them, or, or not very much. So, um, if there is to be any kind of future direction, I'd say it's probably more along those lines. There's certainly a lot of stories that I'd like to tell. Uh, the, the problem is trying to find the time to do that. So I tend to only be able to produce two pages a week and um, sometimes less um, and very occasionally more, but it's on average two pages a week. So. Even a, a 20 page or a 30 page story takes some time to, to finally tell. Um, and at the moment, I'm kind of working my way through a fairly uh, epic story, uh, which I kind of admit I never expected I'd be doing again, but this one is currently up to 100 pages and um, has at least another 20 to go. So once that story's finished, then I, I think I'll be um, reassessing where I am. Uh, with the comic strip, I can't imagine that I probably um, will stop doing it anytime soon. So essentially, there's just going to be uh, more stories, probably uh, of a shorter length, 
Um, and certainly I'd like, I keep wanting to actually engage with a, a few stories that um, are more particularly meaningful for the uh, naturist community, or at least for people who um, are curious about the lifestyle. Uh, I tend to try and cut the comic two ways uh, in the sense that the, uh, the audience is both naturist and non-naturist. I, I, I know that a lot of people who read it read it because they like comics, but they're not necessarily interested in naturism. And I get emails to that effect. People saying, oh, I really like your comic. Don't know if I'd, I'm into naturism, but I like the comic. And uh, um, I never intended the comic to necessarily be a polemic or something that was, you know, meant to uh, be propaganda uh, for naturism, although I've had that levelled against me by some people. Um, so my intention is to try and maybe look at some issues within the naturist community, um, but at the same time keep it open enough for people who aren't... Um, so much a part of the lifestyle can can uh, enjoy the stories and relate to what's going on as well. There was a story I did in the Bear Pit um, a couple of years ago called Chicken Little, which kind of focused on uh, a young man who was um, planning on going to the dangerous resort, the koala bears, um, with a female uh, work colleague but at the same time was petrified that, uh, you know, his penis was too small. And I kind of got into that story as an idea because it's probably one of the, you know, A number one topics that seem to always be on nature's forums, uh, nature's magazines, general discussion about people who are um, thinking about getting involved in the lifestyle and, and so on. Um, and that story proved to be one of the... Uh, most popular ones at the time. Uh, certainly the, the readership increased quite a bit during the, that story. So I think trying to approach stories that might work for naturists and non-naturists seems to be the best mix. Um, and I figure that probably it'll be more of the same once I finish the current story. The, uh, you know, I... I I think the way you're doing it most of the time is great anyway, which is that the message for naturism when you live it doesn't have to be spoken. You know, whether it's propaganda or not, I don't know, but you obviously think it's great and I think it's great, so obviously we're going to say good thing. Um, I think propaganda is when it's not true, and I don't think uh, what you're saying is, is a falsehood. But I think when it, when you create a story that appeals to everybody, but the nature's message is there obviously anyway because they get to see what it's like and they get to see body acceptance. I think that works great anyway. Um, I agree with you about the, the propaganda thing. You know, if it's, it's not true, then it is propaganda. I think, though, that especially with um, the very first story that I did, I was um, quite a lot younger and quite a bit more naive. And even then I was trying very hard to make a story that wasn't, preachy and uh, was fun and so forth. And I think, by and large, that managed to hit that mark uh, most of the time. But what I... Because uh, when people, uh, especially if they've been brought up in a culture where, you know, nudity's bad or nudity's weird or um, their body is a thing to be ashamed of, they read... The subtext message, or even the, in some cases, there was a little more uh, kind of blatant message, I suppose, in the, the first um, story, particularly where nature's characters talk amongst themselves about, you know, how great the lifestyle feels, which, as you and I know, is something nature's do all the time. You get them in a room and invariably the, the topic will turn to, you know, this is a great lifestyle, we really love it, um, and so forth. So I was just trying to put that a little bit into the comic as well, as a touch of realism. Um, but people who weren't naturists actually saw those kind of 
discussions or comments as being propaganda um, or as being soapboxy. Um, and uh, I guess to some degree there were some, peop- some people who also felt that some of the um, decisions by textile characters to try um, naturism also seemed like uh, a bit of rubbish or un- very unlikely. And yet, as, both, as you and I both know, that's also often the case. You have people who are kind of like, oh, I don't want to, you know, I really couldn't do this, I couldn't do this, or, you know, I'll go along, but there's no way I'm taking my clothes off. And within half an hour, they have, and they're loving it. Uh, so it's kind of like, um, for me, when I'm um, writing the comic, I'm trying to think, well, how do I cut the line on this? Do I... Um, I think what I tend to do then is I um, uh, take out any discourse about about naturism and just let the actual characters speak for themselves without speaking for directly about it, if you know what I mean. And um, I think that's where I sort of tend to go with the story these days. it's invariably different when there are characters who come into the comic who um, are body conscious, uh, have never tried naturism, think that it's a bit on the weird side. Um, so those characters are going to tend more to highlight some of the issues around naturism than um, characters who, uh, who come into the story who are already naturists. So... Um, I'm kind of always mindful of um, downplaying specific messages and occasionally um, there was a, there's been at least one, one or two stories that I've done where it never gets mentioned at all. It's just the characters happen to be uh, nude and having an adventure of some type. So um, that's the way I try to sidestep the... Um, any labels around propaganda from detractors. I mean, that still happens anyway, but uh, um, it makes makes writing the story much more interesting, I think. <laughs> Let, let's talk, uh, you know, you, doing this podcast, like this is going to be probably a one-hour podcast, give or take, by the time we're done, um, takes four or five hours. <laughs> I can't imagine how you manage to do two cartoon pages per week. How much? What, how do you do the cartoon? What, what's, what tools do you use? What steps are involved? And how long does it take you from start to finish? Uh, okay, well, the production process is uh, starts with the story and me. Um, Sometimes I'm a bit more diligent with that um, and sometimes I'm less diligent with that. I really should sit down and plan the entire story out 100% before I get started. Usually um, I have a concept of the story and what I want to have happen in it without you know, a page-by-page um, description of, of where it should all end up um, and certainly no script. Uh, I find that I tend to work, a, that I can work if I allow that flexibility uh, to come in, but uh, it has its downsides as well, uh, which I'll mention shortly. But um, So I start with the, the idea of the story and start to sort of sketch out small pages, uh, usually half a normal page size, um, or less, just of you know what's happening for the next few pages or so, and the dialogue. Then I'll turn that into a draft of the page that I intend to do. Um, a draft might take anywhere between an hour to a few hours to do, just depending on how difficult it is. Sometimes when a page has got a lot of things going on in it and a lot of characters, and um, I'm trying to convey. Uh, some fairly dense information in cut in comic book format, which needs to be much more uh, condensed. Uh, that can take quite a bit of 
writing to get it right. Uh, other times it's it's much easier because there's only maybe one or two characters and there might be a bit of um, general action like moving around or um, doing other things. So that those pages tend to be a bit quicker to draft. But when I uh, used to work at the other company, they had... Um, a process of doing drafts before they took it to final art and I find that the draft itself allows me to uh, work out the bugs in the story um, it allows me to work out where I'm going to position the characters within each frame within the page um, how I'm going to arrange the panels um, I tend to uh, there's one kind of thing that I tend to do with the comics that I'm producing these days and that's not just for um, Loxie and Zoot slash The Bear Pit uh, and for uh, Magellan, my other comic, they tend to draw the page specifically uh, for reading on a web browser yeah, in that a normal comic page will be, like in a comic book, will often have some crazy panel layout and um, will have a whole single panel down one side and little panels along the other side and um, those are designed to be read or seen at, a, at one glance. As soon as you turn the page, you can see the whole page and you can see how it's been to fit together. Whereas I think that um, on the internet, that's a bit harder to do given the dimensions of screens. Um, probably not so much an issue now that screens are getting larger, but um, I tend to try and make the panels more easily digested for a web browser. So... Um, Usually no panel is more than half a page in size, so it can be sort of seen first thing once it's loaded into the browser. So I take some of those things into consideration too when setting up the page and painting the page. Uh, once I've done the draft and I'm happy with that, um, I'll start working on the, the black and white artwork um, based on the draft. Um, the draft, although it you know takes a bit of time to get that done, also helps reduce the amount of time it's going to take me to uh, work on the, the final black and white art. Um, and in fact, sometimes the more time I spend on the draft, the less time I've then got to spend on black and white artwork because I know exactly that what the expression on the character's faces are meant to look like, what their body posture is meant to be, and how they're engaging with the other characters. The black and white artwork will take anywhere between usually at least a couple of hours and sometimes a lot more just depending on um, the number of characters within any particular panel um, because uh, the bear pit has a, a lot of um, has a lot of characters sometimes they'll all be in uh, one panel at once and that can take um, several hours to, to draw um, Back when I first started doing Loxie and Zoot, um, I wasn't quite so aware of that particular thing, so I tended to have lots and lots of characters in every frame, and then I soon realised that that was what was making, what was taking so long to produce each page. So I tend to kind of keep the character numbers a bit lower these days, but certainly that um, increases the page length, uh, the, t the time it takes to produce a page. So. Generally speaking, it'll take between two to maybe four, even more hours to, to actually draw the page. Um, these days, because I draw a lot faster than I did, say, ten years ago, um, that makes a difference too. And the more I draw, of course, the faster I, I get because practice helps, um, even with the amount of experience that I've had um, drawing. Um, and then once it's drawn, I do all of this by hand um, using paper and ink I don't draw on the computer um, mainly because I find that I can get the the style that I want uh, much much uh, more easily through using pen and paper then I'll scan that into uh, the computer, I'll add the text um, that itself can sometimes take half an hour to an hour depending on how much text there is to put in and position and move around and um, put in 
speech balloons and so forth. And uh, once the text's done, then I'll add the colour to that. And um, again, that varies depending on the complexity of the page. Um, between between um, an hour to two, sometimes three hours. So all up, a, a single page itself from beginning to end can can take uh, a good ten hours or more. Which of course I, because I have a day job, um, which doesn't involve me sitting down cartooning at home. I've got to go into work uh, nine to five, five days a week. Um, the cartooning process usually happens in the hours around that, um, either first thing in the morning or in the evening, and uh, always on the weekend. So um, a lot gets packed into those hours. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it can be a fairly lengthy process, which is why sometimes you know I don't only get one page done a week. And if there's a lot of things going on in real life for me, whether that's um, work-related or family-related or um, socially-related, um, then that can also have an impact on the amount of time that I can spend on the comics themselves. Um, more is a pity because, you know, I suppose um, it would mean more cartoons, but uh, um, you know, unfortunately... I've got to have a life as well. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, no kidding. And that's not counting the time you spend uh, uh, maintaining communications with your community because I've noticed you're fairly active on a uh, uh, bulletin board as well. Yes, well, there's a, there's a forum related to the bear pit. Um, and it's probably not as busy now as it was uh, a few years ago. Um, there was a, um, in the intervening months, there were, we had a, a comment comment thread that used to run on the actual pages themselves, but there's a, and people were starting to use that quite a lot, and it's certainly a good way to get feedback from readers. Unfortunately, there was a, there was a bit of um, a technical glitch with the program that runs that, um, and it was in some cases breaking the, the navigation that people need to use to move from page to page. Um, so until that gets resolved, which might not be for a little while, um, I've had to close down the, the comments. But yes, I, I get feedback through the forum, um, and you know, the readers who are keen on the comic and, and want to be able to talk about that with other readers as well. Um, and I also get a fair bit of uh, email from from readers who don't necessarily want to, you know, post to the forum but still want to um, tell me what they think about the comic. Or, um, fortunately, in most cases, that's always very positive uh, feedback. Um, I've only had... Um, very few, one or two emails which have been negative about the comic. Um, but by and large, it's people saying that, uh, yeah, they, they appreciate it, they enjoy it. Uh, in some cases, people saying, oh, you know, I wouldn't think I was necessarily into naturism. Um, some people saying that um, they've actually decided to try naturism because of the comic. Um, and in other cases, people saying that they now feel better about their own body because of the comic. So it kind of covers a fair bit of range. I um, tend to get uh, uh, quite a few requests for um, people wanting me to do art for them. Um, fortunately, um, these days, people are now offering to pay for that. Sometimes, I mean, it used to be people were expecting to get stuff for free, but... Uh, um, these days I say to them, no, <laughs> sorry. <laughs> um, so, yeah, quite, quite a bit of uh, communication with readers as well. This is, you're in Australia. A lot of listeners don't know much about Australia and naturism. So here's your chance to uh, tell us a bit more and sell a bit of Australia here. Okay, well, Australia. Australia is... Uh, uh, let me think of a, of a way to describe it. The people here are generally quite friendly, uh, especially within uh, naturism. The, I think uh, the climate here is a lot more conducive to naturism than it may be in a lot of other countries. Um, certainly we have much warmer 
summers and quite mild winters. So it's possible, um, even in Sydney, to get uh, quite warm summer days um, as long as you're sort of in the sun and um, out of the shade. It's, it's possible to you know, get a bit of uh, nude sun time, which can be great. But uh, unfortunately, the um, general social attitudes towards nature is uh, just the same as in most other countries uh, in, in the Western non-European parts of the world, which is you know, fairly kind of um, disfavourable to the practice. So it's, a lot of the issues, I think, faced by Canadian, uh, American and English uh, naturists uh, apply in Australia also. Um, probably one of the best states for um, swimming, um, especially nude swimming, would be Queensland uh, because it's a northern state and for us northern means warmer but it's a northern state and um, nude beaches are totally banned throughout the entire state and it's a very large state um, it would do a lot for tourism in that country but uh, it's very conservative and uh, although there are kind of a few unofficial beaches it's the only state within the entire country that has no official beaches so uh, anybody attempting to um, sample uh, nude beach uh, life in Queensland are likely to get themselves arrested. Uh, and because of that, because it's even though we've got you know a very extensive uh, coastline within the country, there are very few nude beaches um, by comparison. And so there tends to be more in the way of uh, resorts and small operations. And by resort, um, I'm not talking four or five star. I'm talking, you know, uh, fairly basic amenities. There are a couple of places that have been around for quite a few years and they've got more than basic amenities, but the, the cabins are still fairly uh, basic. Sometimes people live on those places and uh, um, they also have camping and camper van type facilities as well. Similar in a way to what you'll see in um, uh, the Koala Bears resort um, that Loxian Zoo run. Um, to some degree that's been, that's been based around my experiences with the, um, the various resorts over the years. When I... Um, uh, several years ago, I painted a, a mural at a, a resort in um, northern Victoria, and Victoria is one of the more southern states, but uh, it gets very hot there in, in summertime. Um, and there was a, um, a resort there that I went to to paint a mural, and um, uh, uh, I just met a woman who um, was very surely to become my girlfriend at the time. But, um, she wanted to go along and she'd never tried naturism before. Um, I'd only known her for like uh, less than a week so she was quite keen to get into trying that out. Uh, and she'd read the book and uh, she was an artist so she wanted to help out with the mural and so on and so forth. But uh, uh, when she, when, once we got there, um, within about an hour or so, she said to me, just like your comic book, just in, in just in terms of the way the place was set up. Even though I'd never been to this particular place before, um, it was very much like um, the resort depicted in the comics. So I think um, anyone coming to Australia would find it, um, and going to the resorts here would find that um, you know usually there's a pool and some cabins and a central um, place where they sell ice creams and supplies and. Uh, um, and a lot of bushland and a lot of trees and a few native animals and, and so on. So um, the, the setups here are, are, are pretty basic, but uh, that's um, essentially, the, I guess, the Australian way of doing things. Um, those resorts don't tend to make a lot of money, um, even at the best of times. So um, things, are, things are comfortable but, but basic. And, um, 
yeah, there's a, there's a small community of people which uh, really enjoy the lifestyle. And I think it also probably tends to suffer a bit from some of the other issues that are going on within naturist communities in um, Western countries, such as an ageing population and um, general, um, I don't know, stagnation in some ways. Uh, you know, certainly there's a lot going on and um, people are enthusiastic, but also at the same time um, it's difficult to get young people involved um, and it's hard for families to become involved and for those those families, once they've grown up, for those younger people to stay involved in the activities um, of those resorts because they you know, go off and find other things to do. This episode of The Naturist Living Show was brought to you by Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park. Traditional naturist values in a modern setting. Traditional values means that naturism is more than just taking your clothes off. It is a life philosophy with physical, psychological, environmental, social, and moral benefits. Bear Oaks Family Naturist Park strives to promote those naturist values in a modern setting that provides the amenities and services that our members and visitors expect. Free your body, free your mind. Learn more at www.bearoaks.ca. Thank you.